0: The Podcast is brought to you in association with, well, no one yet. We've just shelled out £90 for our SoundCloud Premium account this year. That lets us get the podcast to you via Spotify, Stitcher, Deezer, Smart Speakers, Apple Podcasts and wherever else you might find this podcast. If you'd like us to carry your company's name on the podcast, if you cover the £90, then we'll happily do so for all podcasts for the next 12 months. What we do have for you is a special introductory offer from our partners at Beer 52. Beer 52 is a company based in Edinburgh, they run the world's most popular craft beer discovery club. Every month, they'll send you a case of beers with a different theme. The last three months, that's been New Zealand, the Brew London Festival, and coming up this month, Ireland. If you sign up at beer52.com forward slash Airdrie, they'll send you an initial pack of 10 beers, their ferment magazine and a beer-related snack, and you can try for only the £4.95 postage. If you like them and you stay with them, you'll pay £24 a month for a selection of eight beers with a different theme, and if not, there's no commitment, you can cancel at any time. And as a special deal for this podcast, for everyone who signs up through beer52.com forward slash Airdrie, Beer 52 will donate £5 towards Airdray Ladies fundraising. That's beer52.com forward slash word were beer followed by the numbers 5 and 2. I joined 3 months ago, I'm really enjoying it, so go on, give them a try. Welcome to the Hotel podcast, uh, we are back during this time of self-isolation, uh, we're actually back for a second time because we recorded this podcast on Saturday night, only for me to find out that I hadn't pressed record, whether or not that's me uh, being unable to work the equipment or it's just a cry for help that I really just want to chat to some people, I'll, I'll, I'll leave you to, to take a call on, but I'm delighted to speak to again, Gordon Thompson, good evening Gordon. Hi
1: hey Colin, hi hey Alan. And, and Alan Hello.
0: Portis as well.
1: Hello there, how you doing? Glad to be back again. <laughs> but it's about to be better this time, let's be honest. Well, <laughs> it's
0: never, never worked before. have failed to record. Uh, <laughs> We're
1: unbeaten in a month. Uh, right, but let's, let's,
0: I think, set this one up so that, that there's no uh, avoiding what's happening in the world just now. It was the COVID 19 pandemic and. Um, uh, there's been some quotes out of Liverpool which I think sum up quite well. Everybody's familiar with the old uh, Shankly quote of, of people say to me, football's a matter of life and death to you. Uh, it's much more important than that. But actually, the modern day manager, uh, Jurgen Klopp, on the brink of Liverpool winning the league for the first time in 30 years, uh, just simply said, if uh, if this saves one person's life, then it's worthwhile doing. Uh, and Carlo Ancelotti said, of all the least important Things in life, football is the most important, and I think that's probably where my mind's at. I mean, football's not important, I care much more about uh what uh, this horrible illness is doing and the, the fact that we're uh we see the number of deaths just now is more than the go an Airdrie game um just throughout the UK. Uh but and also the impact it's having on local businesses, uh, a lot of pubs in Airdrie have supported the football club. I'm thinking queue here, uh the, the West End, um four IOs always give us recording space, never ask for anything in return, get like four cans of juice sale every time we do it. Um there's a lot of good people within the community who are, who are being hit hard by it so our, our thoughts are with them however we also want to help people pass the time and hopefully we can we can bring some entertainment there's a lot of people who have appeared in the podcast and they've kind of agreed to do turns each so that we'll get some shows over the next few weeks and hopefully people enjoy listening to them while uh, our leisure times kind of taken away from us for for very good reasons i thought it's worth just starting with a catch-up on you know, how you guys get on now <laughs> we, we know the answer because we had this conversation <laughs> but but. <laughs> I, 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 Gordon, you're at the sharp end office. So I mean, the t- kind of work that you do—you are working with really vulnerable people in in society, and people who might struggle to get food to the best of times. So you must have had a tough couple of weeks just trying to help the people that you're already in touch with.
2: Yeah, I, I'm, I, yeah, I've been. Um it's what I, do. I run a charity that that kinda like deals with the most the most vulnerable. So I'm kinda helping food banks and helping get parcels to people that are isolated, alone, very vulnerable and actually a lot of people that are extremely scared, the older people that think they're gonna starve and nobody's gonna come to you know, get them groceries or anything like that. So it's been really, really horrendous the last couple of weeks, but at the same time I'm actually been quite uplifted that there's so many people uh, you know, within our within our communities that are willing to help. You know, the club did a wee bit. They they gave um, uh, all the kind of stuff at the concession stalls. The way that's found its way out to food banks. It's got to people. Um, we 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 did a, a couple of wee bits. We've got volunteers that have been involved in the fit club that have been doing things like helping get deliveries to people. So it's great to see the club actually getting involved a wee bit as well and wanting to do more. Uh, other other fans, groups like Dimes in the community are kind of doing some stuff around about as well. So it's great. It's been great to see so many people pulling together, even even you know when times are really, really tough. And it's it's great to see the people here in the surrounding Canarias, kind of North Lanarkshire, which I cover the whole of. Uh, it's great to see so many people that actually want to roll their sleeves up and help others. So I've, I've been really heartened with that and it's great to see.
0: And Alan, similarly, you're a business advisor for Business Gateway. So, I mean, really, but small, medium-sized enterprises, guys who would not have had any idea that this was coming along, if you asked them at Christmas time. So, you, you must be seeing quite a lot of stressed people as well. How's how's it been for you for the uh, last yeah, couple I,
1: of weeks? Absolutely, I, absolutely, lots of people, lots of businesses of different sizes phoning in, not knowing where the mixed cash is coming from, um, losing a lot of work, you know that that sort of stuff. So, so we've been kind of. Keeping them abreast of what the 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 various support is through the Scottish government and you know the grants, loans, that that sort of stuff, and just and just actually generally talking to people and you know letting them know that there's a wee bit of support there, because sometimes you know I know the government's been throwing up a throwing out a morass of information, um, but there's not I think a lot of folk have been finding that it's it's not easy to understand and there's not a lot of people to actually talk to so. So i just just been just been supportive and signposting people to the right places and and, and explaining where things seem a wee bit difficult.
0: Yeah. And football, I mean, life. Football was one of the first things to go. The games get cancelled a few weeks ago, before we had lockdown or anything like it. The Gordon, football is a, a huge bit. Your life is. You've spoken here. You do stuff with the club. You also take a boys' club. You're. Uh, I mean, you appear on this podcast. You do training before the Airdrie games, you go to all the Airdrie games, Um, I think you've only missed a couple of games all season, so uh, it must put a big hole in in your life, Uh, does that seem weird as well?
2: It, It does, to be honest, but because of what I do work-wise, it's been taking up an awful lot of my time. I've been doing, um, you know, kind of like sitting writing, funding bids to get money for food and stuff like that for people. I've been, been doing stuff to 11 o'clock at night most nights and even at the weekend. So it has kind of taken up a wee bit more of my time, but my God, I'm missing football. When you said there, it's only a couple of weeks since the game. I'm, I'm, <laughs> you know, it feels like months already and it, it's, it, you know, it, it's, it's massive. You know, that, that's one of the kind of glues that kind of hold a lot together. But we're finding at times and I'm sure plenty of people listening tonight will be, I'll be thinking I've not seen my kids, my grandkids, my brothers, or uh, that kind of thing. People that we maybe go to the games with, we've not seen them for weeks, and we're all wondering, you know, how long it's going to be before we actually do see them again. So yeah, it, it has left a massive, a massive kind of gap, and it's not just the football; it's everything that goes with it that kind of, that kind of binds us all together that's missing too.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's 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 mates we all have who that's where you see them. Uh, Alan, you're no different. You you travel far and wide watching Airdrie as well. I mean, what this Saturday with with nothing on, what, what was was like for you?
1: I it was it was a bit miserable. I was I was uh, I turned on Sky Sports to try and find something that looked a little bit like football, and they were showing the they were showing the World Darts Championship final from nineteen ninety eight. I'm not saying they're getting desperate for things to show, but that's. That's a <laughs> copy, isn't it?
0: Uh, and you did, you did a <laughs> trip to Aldi as well, though, did you not?
1: <laughs> yes, we did, we did talk about that. I do, I do have an update on that as well, because as we were saying, my mum was, I, I felt quite concerned, and I, I said to my mum, I'll, I'll go out to Aldi for you, get the essentials, and she gave me a list of things, a very small list, that basically contained yoghurt, coconut mini bites, chocolate ginger biscuits, and some cake for the drawer. well, she sent me out, she, I was down today and she said, thanks for getting all that stuff, Alan, but can you go back, um, could you get me some geraniums? Geraniums, you know, the real essentials, and I said, mum, I can only go for essentials, I'll get arrested if I go for geraniums, and she said, that is essential, that's absolutely essential, these these flowers will not grow in the summertime, if they're not planted now, so so I'm going to have to go back to Aldi tomorrow, take my life mum, like, we're not going to have a summertime,
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: it be before we
2: get out the
1: house mum uh, S- summer's cancelled I, like, I, I summertime exactly I'm
0: worried though Alan I think people have been stockpiling geraniums I'm not sure there'll be any left absolutely
1: there's a black market in geraniums <laughs> down, down, down behind Broom Church tell you uh, right
0: and then I okay, guess so on to the football so the football authorities across the world especially the European level UEFA and then dropping down to the national leagues are, are trying to work out what, what this means I mean uh, for me, uh, my my key concern is around oh well, the future of Airdrie uh. But but also just y- you worry about football at a level, this sort of hit on cash flow that was unexpected. Where wages are still going out and the clubs are trying to work out what to do. And there's there's talk about pay cuts. I mean, I, I'm I'm kind of thinking I, I'm I'm right to be worried just about the future of Airdrie We've all been there before, uh, and when we didn't have this kind of disruption. Uh, what do you think, Gordon? I'm a, I'm a, my, my fear's well placed.
2: I hope, I, I certainly hope that we're in a better position now than we would have been two years ago, or any of the last fifteen years. If this had happened, um, we seem to have people who are quite astute behind the club now. I, I mean, I, 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 you know, I'm, you know, I kind of do an awful lot for the club and, and quite close to it. I'm not, I don't have an inside track on the. The cash flow in the club at the moment, but I do trust the people that are in charge. Um, we might need some help, uh, you, you know, along the way. The, the things like potentially forlowing wages, which would, which would relieve a lot of the pressure and strain on the club a wee bit. Um, but I think we're in a far better position than, than, than maybe many of our contemporaries are as well. We, we, we Obviously, we all read pie in Bovril and, you know, these different sites. I can't use it anymore, but at least I can read it. But... Um, we see the the state some of the other clubs are in and I think we, my gut feeling is that we'll be in a better position than a lot of them. And, you know, we may have taken a, you know, contribute to something, but... Um, you know the club are talking about a membership scheme or something like that, and there might be things to help the cash flow but I think overall we're we've got really good people behind the scenes now and it's it's a different club to what we were a couple of years ago so I hope that we'll come out it well but again a lot of it depends how long this thing goes on and what happens but I would hope that you know, I'm hoping that the very worst will be back for the pre-season. Um, I don't think it will happen sooner, given the way that everything else is happening around about football. You know, everything that's happening in the world, and the way the governments are speaking, the way news articles are kind of coming out day by day and kind of suggesting it's going to be the summer or later before things are back to completely back to normal. So, a lot depends. There are a lot of ifs, a lot of buts and a lot of maybes, but on the time scale we're looking at, I think... I think I trust the people that are in charge. To be honest, at the moment, the, 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 I think things have, have happened at a good time for us, and um, I think other ones might struggle though, which which is quite scary. And I think there'll be a lot coming out in the next few days and weeks regarding you know, players' contracts and stuff like that at other clubs, which which will be make some some really scary viewing. But yeah. hopefully, we're in a position that we can that, that we can hit the ground running. So especially if we all pull together. Um, in the
0: coming months. Yeah, I had sports signed on on Saturday afternoon. It's kind of out of force of habit. It was actually quite a good programme. I mean, they had some journalists on who'd also been talking to senior figures at clubs. And I mean, Hearts had got a lot of abuse for coming out quite so early and, and offering pay cuts and stuff. But the, the talk was moving on to like a lot of clubs are going to be struggling here. There's actually a clause in every player's contract that says in a situation like this, uh, the, the contract can essentially cancelled without the players being paid further they said clause 12 they were describing it as so it's, r- it's really not what you want to see because we, you know, we care about football players as well, that, that a lot of them in Scotland won't be making huge wages and so just in the same way as anybody else it's not the time you want that to be to be happening at. And Alan again with your business advisory head on Wraith uh, so they posted a loss of £800,000 last year and, and I don't know what Falkirk's figures are, but they um, wouldn't have been expecting to come down. and have spent a bit of money trying to get up. Go, what What does it do to a business if, if all of a sudden you just have uh, your 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 gate money not coming in for a few
1: weeks? Yeah, no, I know. I think I think these teams. I think Falkirk and Wraith must be flying really, really close to the wind, don't you think? Um, you know, I, I, the amounts of money that they've spent. It's, it's. You know, we we talked about it before. Cash is king. And if you if you can't kind of pay the wages, then the, the players get disgruntled. Um, the you know contracts are not being fulfilled, all that sort of stuff. I mean, I think what we've been talking about and what you're hoping for is that there's that there's you know in, in these kind of strange times, there's got to maybe be a, be a wee bit of come and go between employers and employees. You know, employees need cash of sorts, obviously, but there has to be a bit of an understanding as well that if the cash is not there, they maybe got to. You know, to take a little bit less if it's if it's, you know, we've got a lot of you know part time players that maybe the football is not their, their main earnings. So that's at least you know something that the the, the clubs can you know can fall back on. And if if, if there's a couple of weeks' wages or something going to miss, then it might not be the 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 disaster for the players. But but yeah, you know, a a gaping hole you know for 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 two teams specifically that are probably thinking. This is our year, we have to absolutely throw everything at it and get ourselves up here. Um and, and, and to have this thrown at, at you, you know, right out of nowhere, out of left field. You know, there'll be no contingency plan for this. That's that's the thing. It'll just be you know, they'll be scraping their way through. They maybe even have thought we're quite happy to to, to weather a loss this year, a substantial loss to try and get, you know, the, 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 the drip down money from from a from a higher league that will sort everything out. Next year, and if that's not going to happen, I don't know. I uh, you do you do feel that we're probably in a firmer foundation than financially than, than than a lot. So that's at least encouraging, I think. Um, yeah.
0: Uh, you said that it's, uh, it's, there won't be contingencies here in the league. Won't and can't have a contingency since we spoke on Saturday night. Now Tuesday night we're recording. Uh, there's not. There's been changes since then, and you think if anything that this the present situation can people being asked to work from home not go out, businesses not allowed to open is likely to go on for a much longer period than the initial suspensions were so there's the interesting question of what do you do because you have got a, a, a sport competition which hasn't gone all the way through not far over three quarters of the way through, so it's I guess it's at a stage where everybody's played kind of the same games. Um what do you do with it? Now, like I said at the outset, I was really impressed by the way both managers in Liverpool spoke about this. I've been less impressed by <laughs> those in Glasgow where it's uh, very partisan views being taken depending on which team they work for or used to play for, whatever. Um but but let's say this is let's say we're not playing football again until September, what, what do you do? Uh, have, you, have, you, have you got any preferences as to, do you call the leagues now and have some sort of no relegation, extend the size of the leagues, even if it's just for one season, so that nobody suffers, or do you think we need to play this one out to a conclusion? Gordon, I'll throw it to you first.
2: Well, th- thanks Colin, that's a good <laughs> question. Uh, my own personal viewpoint is that things won't happen until at least the summer, so I think last season is dead and buried, but I know that there's clubs, including our own probably, who will want to kind of get some resolution, because I know our club was hoping to finish higher than third, two places higher <laughs> than third as well. And that carries more prize money. So I can understand how clubs would want to kind of keep playing. Um, the authorities have got a massive job in their hand then to, to, to address that situation. Do they do they kind of redraw the prize money Um so that it kind of suits people can they find extra money through whether it be sponsorship or you know through TV deals or whatever I don't actually know quite how they're going to do it or you know I don't know the background to the situation so it's hard to, it's hard for us to obviously figure it out but they've got a massive job on their hands keeping everyone happy because there will be clubs that will argue we could have finished higher we could have got more we want to finish the season and I think that's going to be like a real drag for people I don't know how I don't know how everyone else feels about that, but my own personal view is that you know it's dead and buried that season. Horrible turn of phrase, right enough, given the circumstances. But I think the season's you know it's wasted. I, I would love whenever things happen again to have a fresh start. I think by the time this this whole thing's done and people are allowed out of the house, they'll actually want to go to the football. I can imagine a lot of wives or, or husbands in some cases will love to chuck their partner out of the house and say, "Go, take the kids with you, get to the game." So I think we could see a, a rising crowds. You know, come you know, come hopefully July or August, whenever it does start again, hopefully, and um, I think a fresh start's what we all really need. Some of the easy things to 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 do if they do that is is obviously they'll just need to award the titles based on where they're at, but prize money might be a an issue that they, they maybe need to address, and. Um, and also the league sizes, it would be very unfair to relegate a team based on where they are, because everyone would argue that they could have got out it. I know the likes of Harps would be absolutely jumping up and down. It shouldn't be about one club, no matter what they do. Um, but I think I think the likes of the Hearts and other teams that might be staring relegation, Partick Thistle might argue the same. Breakin or Albion Rovers certainly won't want to motor down into the lowland leagues or whatever, so I think they will need to reconstruct if they do. But one of the things that gets me, Colin, I think you you can kind of say that they, you know, would they do a larger league for one season. I think that's a disaster. You do not want to go up and then immediately be chopped back down again. So I think if they do change the league structure, they need to maybe commit for maybe like five seasons or something before they could they could change it again. Because I don't think it's fair to, to, to have a, a promotion one year and then suddenly be looking at five or six teams facing relegation the following season uh, to to recalibrate the leagues. I think if they do kind of go to something like maybe two fourteens or something like that. Um, you know, for the top two leagues, and and maybe a bigger kind of third division. I think they need to commit to that for a wee while, because if they don't, that that leaves us um you know, like quite an ugly situation the following seasons, which, which, which yeah. could be detrimental to the games. So uh, there are a lot of, a lot to think about. I think the, the players that B have got a lot of time in their hands at the moment. Uh, they, they've obviously got issues with contracts and stuff like that with players and all these potential minefields that you mentioned there about this clause uh, that could be invoked and, and people are arguing over, over contract sizes. So there is a lot to think about, but I think they need to find a way... A, Obviously, sorting a resolution. My own personal gripe. I would, uh, my own personal point of view. I would rather see a fresh start if, if it goes any longer, which I can't. Uh, I can't see it being, you know, a quick resolution. To this thing at the moment. So, uh, I'm all for a fresh start. That's my standpoint.
1: Alan, um, what about you? I don't know. I think I, I think I tend to go in a slightly different direction in the sense that <laughs> not not like me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I I tend to feel that people are very much in a rush to me rash decisions on things that we don't really know what's over the, the brow of the hill type of thing. So I mean wh- what's the what's the landscape gonna look like in four weeks time? I, I don't know. It might be horrendous or it, it it might be a long drawn out process to get ourselves back to normal again. But it might it, it might be a bit more optimistic than, than than we're looking at and maybe, you know, cramming some cramming some games in towards the end of the season and cramming some uh, scrum some games in at the start of a slightly delayed next season might just just be the answer um, I, I don't know I, re- I really don't know it's,
2: there, it's... there was one thing Alan that your old school pal mentioned uh, the other day uh-huh. um, when he was talking about it, um, sorry I, I don't know if I've uh, noted something there I shouldn't have said but... well,
0: He's now he's <laughs> Airdrie's most think... famous son so I think we may as well talk <laughs> yeah, about I,
2: it I think, I think Mr Leach is now the most famous man from Eardry, and it was something that he said, Alan, that kind of got me. And I've obviously been thinking the same as yours. You know, like, you know, hold your hold your horses and just see what the future brings. But uh-huh. he actually mentioned something at the weekend when he was speaking, and he was talking about coming out the other side of the curve that's getting flattened. What what might happen in three or four weeks? And I'm looking at America at the moment. And remember, there was a talk at the weekend that Trump was talking about we'll of this back to normal by Easter and now suddenly he's changed tack and said it'll be at least the end of April before he thinks about it well mm-hmm. Jason Leach was talking at the weekend and, and it, it's actually perfect sense that I've seen it before somewhere else that when things are ready to break in terms of you know starting to, to kind of return to normal what he was talking about was actually that that would need to be a longer process you can't just go crash bang while it booms straight away back into 50,000 people turn up at stadiums or 500 depending it was going to be a slow process if if you just go and open the floodgates immediately you'll probably end up kind of relapsing them back into stage you, you know where we were so I, th- I think they're going to have to control any kind of return to normality and and whatever we do it will be like a kind of like a slowly phased return so that we don't create another curve
1: mm-hmm. yeah i know I, I do understand
2: that if but... that makes sense so that's why i'm kind of starting to think a bit longer term that Right. We're going to be looking even even if things are looking a bit better come April, it might well be that they say, wait a minute, we're not having football again. And, and even though we only get crowdsy, you know, like under a thousand, the other clubs are going to like crowds sometimes up to you know up to sixty thousand in Scotland. And I don't think that's going to happen immediately. Even if they do say, you know, first of May we can all go about our business, I don't think we're going to get sixty thousand people in a football stadium or people go to pop concerts or anything like that immediately. So that's how I think it's going to take a wee bit longer to actually return to normality so
1: I don't know all you need to do is actually tell folk that they shouldn't be doing it and they'll do it judging by, <laughs> exactly, it. Yeah. Judging by the maniacs that are creeping about this week in the last week honestly
0: there's also an idea about can you get football behind closed doors but
1: I don't see is there any point to that really nah. honestly no.
0: I guess yeah. for people in, the counter argument you're on is look for people in isolation uh, it's hard for them to pass the time and a lot of people love football so you could start it up and tailorise it more broadly than it is on Sky, then it could be really good for the, the nation's morale and mental health.
1: Well, what do, aren't, we, aren't we just as well watching all the old games in Sky and stuff like that then? Or or the BBC showing all old games? Because, let's face it, football was better 20 years ago than it is now. So And I've forgotten half the games I saw before, so I'm, I'm quite happy to have my fill that way. I, I, I just yeah. don't see that watching football matches in an empty stadium where you know, putting footballers at risk and, and just for the sake of, you know, having something in the TV to watch. I don't, I don't, I don't think that. I don't think the, it, the other, they are,
2: are constructive in any way. The other side to that one is that if you do reach in the the games behind closed doors, the teams that are really struggling, like who's to say that? Um, any TV channels actually going to show Wraith Rovers against Four for, for example, right? And you've got these contract problems still brewing. So if you resume the games behind closed doors, that would mean that you, you can't actually lay off the players. Like there, some of them possibly could be planning and doing, but there's not going to be any revenue or income unless a big TV deal is thrashed out, which I.
1: No, think, that's never going to happen.
2: So I, 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 I'm not sure that the
1: closed door thing would actually no, work. And the, and the bigger clubs, if, if they are looking at things like the, you know, the furloughed employees type of thing, once you furlough an employee, they can't, they can't, can't do, do anything. Can't bring that, back, yeah. They've
2: got to sit at home and they can't do anything. And that is a 12 week thing as well, if, as far as I'm aware. So
0: I, I was going to say, I mean, th- that's assuming the football players don't get it and spread the virus. We've seen with, Mikel Arteta was one of the first you kind know, of high profile. Uh, news reports of someone and probably Accelerated Games being cancelled that weekend because the Premiership were were set to play um, I guess at the Premiership level if the the teams have all been in proper self-isolation for long enough and you could you've got the test that you can do, you you could maybe have only people in a a stadium who you know are clear, but they want to see their families and stuff as well, and by the time you get down to our level, where you've got guys holding down a day job, you you can't exactly ask them uh, not to go and do their main employment so that they can play football at the weekend behind closed doors to entertain people, so uh, there's problems with it for for all sorts of reasons. I mean, I do think there's no solution here that's going to please everybody or really work if we if we finish this season in October and you've got all these teams with money problems and contracts ending in the June anyway, you might have a Wraith Rover squad with only four players who were in it pre the break, but, but there just isn't going to be a perfect solution. Just a daft thought here. Not right, Because eh? you've, got,
1: you've got to think this has been another break in their season. They'll come back and lose five games in the bouncing.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hearts might win one or two games and then go back to normal again as well. But that that's actually the other side of things, right? And see if you're looking at See, if you're looking at things and thinking, you know, putting two and two together, and I, I might be doing that myself at the moment, right? And it, it just kind of came to me as so I was speaking there, right? But see, if, if you've got like a lot of people within football talking about this clause, calling that you were talking about at the weekend, they wouldn't be talking about that or even dealing with that, just now if they thought it was going to start again quite soon. Just a, something that kind of came to mind there, mm-hmm. that um, if we're hearing that and there's actually a possibility of that happening... that that kind of says to me already that this season's finished
0: that's becoming more and more my thoughts Uh, the clubs are in survival mode which I understand as well so it's a lot of them are just going to either furlough guys at which point you can't really be relying on them to train nor will they be motivated nor will they really have that much passion for their employer who's Prepare if if they're a high-paid footballer and they're only getting eighty percent of their wages up to twenty-five grand, they may not even want that. They may rather take their chances and try and get a new contract when things do clear up. So uh, there's there's all sorts of issues with it. But let's let's right, we we'll try and we've we've done the doom and gloom probably there. Uh, it's a very difficult situation and know it's hard for football, but it's it's harder for other things in life. Uh, I think we've got to have hope, and we've touched on it there that maybe this can this can lead to stronger football clubs, for football clubs having a a place in the community. Gordon, you've already spoken about uh, some of the good stuff that's happened through the the club and the stadium. I I had a a podcast a few months ago where uh, I had a rant about things which I didn't think were right. Hopefully this can be something that will bring us all back together and make us realise how lucky we are to, to have a football club and how much escapism that can uh, that can bring us when it when it goes well, and we can we can mend some some relationships that are broken down and come out of it stronger. Right, let's let us let us try and keep the the upbeat mood progressing today, which is lucky because it wasn't on Saturday night. It's 30 years to the day since Airdrie played St Johnstone at McDermott Park in a, a league decider. Uh, the the local paper up there, the Courier, wrote a piece calling it the best game that's ever been played at McDermott Park. Now. That would make sense for St. Johnston supporters because uh, they went on to win the league despite being behind Airdrie before that game kicked off. But it also strikes me, it's a game that Airdrie fans speak about in, in glowing terms. It's one that my brother always talks about as um, a kind of marker as to where the, the level of support was for St. Johnson who filled three stands that day, but also for Airdrie, who took uh, enough to fill the stand behind the goals up there, which is probably about like 2,000, which is... A number we don't get near to for for most home games uh, these days. So that was the season before I started going to games. You would both have been there, uh, Alan. I know that you had you'd quite a strange viewpoint that day. So do you want to talk us through uh, <coughs> your experience and, and a kind of health warning on how football can be a bit too much sometimes?
1: Yes, be youngsters beware. I whipped myself into such a frenzy in that game, bit, and if you're anybody, Gordon, you'll remember that sitting behind the stand. It was so hot. The sun was yep. beating down. I whipped myself into a frenzy. And by the time we scored the first goal, I had a panic attack. thought I was going to have a heart attack. Got carted off. Had to walk round the ground and get taken under the stand to be treated by St. Johnson's club doctor. So I, I, missed, mm-hmm. I missed half the game. And indeed, I thought I was going to die. Only the doctor that was supposed to be treating me buckered off because he was watching the game. He kept popping in every, every five minutes going, you all right, mate? And then he came back in and he said, ha, that's us equalised. then he came back in and went, ha, that's us winning. I, I, I didn't feel his bedside manner was particularly wonderful, I must be honest. But... <laughs> but Can we just point out here that you were about 25 at the time? I, I don't know
2: why age was high. I probably was Bob was a bit... 19 or 20 maybe was it not? Oh I was 19 or 20 and you're at least five years older than me so oh, I don't
1: know I can't remember nah, I <laughs> let's, not, let's not dwell on it <laughs> let's, not, let's not get into in the semantics of it all um. Helpfully though
0: Alan if you've got any gaps in your memory there's a, there's a brilliant YouTube video so it must have been one of the lead games on sports since so Dougie only introduces the match and then it cuts to you can tell it's a, a sun bathed um, McDermott Park and there's a so me watching it not having been in the game, there's a level of background noise all the way through the highlights, so you can tell that the atmosphere was terrific. Um, it looks to me from the highlights here, were under the cosh, Johnny Martin saved me a number of saves, St. Johnson hit the woodwork, I think maybe on three occasions, Stevie Gray scores a goal which is an absolute screamer, uh, and I mean, at that point I think there's only about ten minutes left, but as you as you say, St. Johnson turn it around uh, and, and here lose, but That that's that's the highlights of it, Gordon. Talk us through what was what was that day like.
2: I mean it was amazing if I remember right we got the Barrel Volks buses up which we used to do quite a lot back in the days and um, yeah you're right it was absolutely bouncing it was, at, it was a time when you still could have a good drink on the bus as well without too much grief uh, we always stopped in Dunblane on the way up and the way down if I can remember right that was a game where someone had, had left some empty cans on top of the police the undercover police car you know so it looked like you know the you know the sirens on top of it so it was like a, <laughs> it was just a kind of party atmosphere all you know, the way up and down And as you said, the weather was seasonally hot, you know, global warming, come on 30 years ago, it was warmer, you know, in the same day, um, the equivalent. So um, everything was right, but it was a great season. We had won the first game that season at McDermott. That was the first year that McDermott had been open. St Johnson were getting really big crowds and we were the first team to win a competitive game there against them. Um, Infamously, it was, I think it was Tam McAdam that scored the first goal and then Innes McDonald scored the winner. Oh no sorry, it was Innes McDonald scored the first goal and then Tam McAdam scored the winner, you know, seventy five ish kinda of minutes into the game. So we had already beat them. We had been yo yoing for the league. We had bought one Coyle uh, and John Watson from Fulham, if I can remember rightly, um, just a month or so earlier as well, and, and were making a push. But I think getting into that game, the momentum had kind of swung a wee bit towards them and away from us. They had a cracking team at the time. Some of the Some of the players that they had, you know, were were pretty decent. we were talking about the top end of the, the, the championship, obviously, or, you know, Division 1, as it was at the time. And they had a lot of great players. You mentioned guys like Stevie Maskery, Roddy Grant was playing. Um, I can't remember if Alan Moore had signed for them at that point. He had, or yes. Not. He was a great uh, player. He did, right. So that that's a great front three. The guys like Paul Cherry in the midfield, who were cranking players. They had Mark Trainer, you know, they, they signed from Clyde Bank, you know, playing at the back. and You know, just the whole team was excellent as well. And our team was every bit as good, but I think, the momentum had switched a bit, although we had signed Coyle and Watson, I think, I think we had kind of lost a bit of momentum at that point in time. And um, there, there were things like, I, think, I can't remember, but I think some of our, our defenders, like Brian McKeown, had maybe been injured for a bit. and I don't know if they were slowing down, you know, if he was slowing down a bit or more. Some of them had been injured and it was starting to look a bit makeshift at the time.
1: Yeah. We had Burnham playing in centre yeah, midfield. Sorry? Brian was slow for the penalty. Remember, wasn't he? Just well, I, I wasn't even at, was even? Was even in the?
2: I can't remember if it was inside the box or, you know, borderline or whatever. But I think it was actually put, it was a bit debatable but, at the time because the guy was moving. Something like that. I mean, it, it, it probably was a penalty. Probably, probably idiotic trying to deny that one. But at that point in time, our defence had become compromised even more because we had Sammy Conn playing at left back that day. So I remember, Paul Jack was missing. Ian McPhee was missing, and I think there was others as well. That day, I, I think Nipper and Big Graham Harvey were only on the bench to start with that day, and I, I think we were starting to kind of struggle a bit. So, during the game, we ended up with John Watson back at centre-half. That was the first time I think he had done that for us, and Innes McDonald ended up playing left-back that day. Um, you know, for most of the game, I think Con went off quite early with an injury, and Innes mm. McDonald
1: had right. come on. I he think he ended, up, left back. he ended up at right-back. Because Dude, I, I think, did he not get toasted for their, th- their third goal? Just no, because he no, lost, no. lost possession on the right side. I'm saying like I remember this, but I watched the YouTube Maybe, video. Maybe, uh, I know. You were at the club doctor's bedside, if I can remember, <laughs> right there. Well, aye,
2: <laughs> but I but, any, but anyway, what happened was it was late on. I mean, Stevie Gray obviously scored that stormer, and and you know we were one that up, and there was only about twenty twenty two minutes to go or something like that at the time, and I think they get their they get their first the penalty after about seventy five minutes roughly, uh, when when as you said, Masquerade, who was a really quick striker, kind of David McCabe like, but maybe not quite as quick, but Masquerade was a cracking striker, and he got beyond McEwan in the box, and he and he got brought it down it was he probably was looking for it to be honest, but that's what it is. But the second goal with about five minutes to go was actually a, a real kind of ugly one. I think um, Roddy Grant had with Derek Grant. They were up for a challenge and Derek Grant had blood pouring for his head. And rather than stay down, get injured, get us a bit of time or whatever else, of course, men being men at the time, you know, Roddy Grant goes and it jumps uh, Derek Grant for the free kick and scores. So it was one of the ones where you would think... You know, if the big Derek had not been injured, would he have scored? I don't know. And it, 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 We ended up just kind of really under the cosh, but that wasn't our best team at that point in time. And, you know, the momentum was definitely way them. But I th- in the end, we were kind of unlucky. We had been quite brave. And obviously, we had took the lead and, and were looking good. The fans were really into it. And, and it was just a brilliant day all around. Obviously, the result was a seconder, but it was just one of the anti-climaxes in the end, I guess. But, you know...
0: What can you say? And it was two set pieces as well, which was what struck me watching it back. But I mean I would encourage people to to watch it back because as much as fashion's changed so they've all got the short shorts on and uh, the jerseys are the jerseys have got back to being tight fitting now. as uh, opposed to big like, baggy numbers
1: later on in the nineties the and stuff. But uh you oh, can't, you can't... St. Johnson's talk that day was absolutely hideous. It was like it was like a kind of blue stained wallpaper. It was hideous. <laughs> yeah. I need to watch back.
2: A- <laughs> but
0: but you can tell that it's a game played. It's full hearted. The, the the dribbling on show and the, the goal. I mean, Stevie Grace finishes a a screamer as well. Um, but but there's, there were some moments that made me laugh. As the. A terrible pass back played uh, to John Roof. Martin, uh, which he has to uh, run.
1: Derek Grant again. Uh, right. Derek Grant that.
0: So he, he's got to run in and snatch it. A bit, a typical John Martin, brave as anything, snatch it just from the striker's face, basically. Oh,
2: I remember that. But he then he,
0: gets he went up. Absolutely
1: what up was that like a kind of is
0: uh, It's a, it's a classic and, uh, John Martin, like going mental. <laughs>
2: Can Have you seen did you see the video? Because one of my abiding memories early in the game was that John Martin kind of like had he changed direction mid air, there was a shot was maybe deflected or something. Um, he was going yeah, to his right and then the he had to go throw himself his so around his his round his left. Round the
1: post. It's a brilliant it's uh, Absolutely I it,
2: amazing. I remember that because they were talking about John Martin. There was a B International round about that point in time, and it was, I think, was that before the World Cup? I can't remember if that was before. Italia 19, There was talk at the time that should he be considered for that B cap, which might have put him in place, you know, for a squad. Because I don't think the, the Scotland goalies were all that particularly amazing, and there was a lot of calls for him to be at least in the squad. Because I think the I, I think apart from Jim Leighton, I don't think there was, and maybe Goro, I can't remember if Goro was on the scene at that time, but I think the third goalie space was maybe came a kind of up for grabs a bit. And Johnny Martin was absolutely sensational that night, and he really did. They did. Um, kind of go on a bit for a week or two after that, as if as if to say, come and have a look at this guy, you know. Because Coyle was a because Coyle was playing B international at that point. Wasn't yeah, he? for the Republic, that was,
1: aye. He was knocking on the door of that. Yeah, I
2: mean, I think he, the team will go to the '94 World Cup. I can't remember off the top of my head, but I'm sure he went to to the USA '94. But he he did play at the, the for the B team at that point. I
0: and there's also the the referee on the day was a a classic referee. Like he looked like he comes straight out of his, his geography class, mid mid forties or something like that. Skinny as Which anything. Which one was that? I can uh, yeah, tell. Yeah, can tell his name, but it was. Uh, you just need to check out the footage, and he's in the old uh, kind of. Black refs kit as well. It uh, ju- just looks it <laughs> looks out of place in amongst all these athletes. I think they do a better job of getting the refs to be uh, more athletic <laughs> these days. Um, but but no, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great video. I mean, it's a period piece.
1: Aye, every fan needs to have a look at it. Just just for Stevie Gray's goal. I think we I think we just ignore <laughs> the rest of it and just just glorifying in that. But what uh, I don't know if you noticed, Colin. Though and I was just looking. I quite quite interested in looking around what the sort of products and and what's getting advertised in in old programmes and in old hoardings around the grounds, right behind the goals, there's an advert for Lynx Lager. Do you remember Lynx? Anybody remember Lynx Lager? Gordon, you have even heard of that? (laughs) Never. I've probably drunk it, but I definitely
2: can't remember it. Um, No, (laughs) not necessarily. Maybe it was just brooding turf or
1: something, I don't know.
2: But I thought I've yeah, oh, um, oh, never tried that Lynx. I mean, we used to buy things at being in Q in places like that to drink, you know. But I can't ever remember a links. <laughs> no, no. But look, paint stripper, turpentine, all the thing but never that. Lynx lager. Yeah, yeah lucky you, mate. I'll leave, I'll leave you to research that one, mate. Yeah, I, I, I'm going to do that for the next one. I'll, I'll look into it. The... Colin, is that in one of your brewery kits that you
0: buy? I don't buy? know. If it's craft, it may well be in the, the Beer 52 so collection. Uh, right? And yeah. then we've also, right, on the three-minute nostalgia, just so trying to keep this upbeat, right, Stevie Gray. So that's a, a name that's, that's spoken in in glowing terms. Again, that was, I think, the last season where Stevie Gray really made a lot of appearances. So last podcast, with, with he's Black, he's gay, he plays for Air Fashion, who long before that, he's fat, he's round, he's worth a million pounds, Stevie Gray, the fans loved him, why, bring me up to speed, what was so great about him, I see the goal in that game, fantastic, but that was a long strike, I don't think that was really his, his 40, Gordon, what you can tell me about Stevie Gray,
2: Stevie Gray was, Something else, mate. I feel sorry for you that you never actually got to experience that year or two when he was it was just was just unbelievable for us. But I, I, I can remember I think it was Jimmy Bone signed on quite early on for seventy grand for Aberdeen. So he had played and he had, I think he played in the League Cup final for Aberdeen around about eighty five. He was under twenty one international, but he had kind of lost his way a bit. I think Alec Ferguson had left. There was always there was always going to be like who's going to take over the mantle God and Strachan when he left can't remember if it was 84, I think it was 84, Gordon Strachan left. And there was a guy called Dean Porteus, and then behind him there was Stevie Gray. And the two of them could have been there to that, that kind of throne, you know, the, the, the kind of right side of that four-man midfield for Aberdeen. But Stevie, Stevie always had the, the ability, but there was something missing. I think we I think we eventually found out what it might have been. But um, <laughs> he was one of us. He was always doing the staging post. You know, back in the day, and, and and other pubs and that. You know, after training and that. You know, he, he would put with the lads. He was great. He was approachable. He would certainly let you buy him a pint. <laughs> I don't think he ever bought <laughs> any back, but he would certainly let you buy him a pint. And, and and you know, he was just a great guy. He was out about the town, everybody really loved him. His partner was good. He had that sort of swagger about him. I, I think the the best word to describe him would be Gallus, maybe on the football pitch. Although he wasn't the biggest, he would get tore in. You know, he he, he was quite a tough wee guy. He he was fair, which is which isn't the. He had, it's the the be subtler places as well, you know, and you know, you've know got to be able to look after yourself. And um, he, he was very streetwise on the pitch, but he had a lot of flair about him. There was a game against Forthorne or something like that where I think he turned the left-back inside out about seven or eight times. It was as if he was actually just turning them for fun, and uh, he would always get his cross in. There was a lot of games those those couple of years. I remember Albion Rovers had came up, and there was a game down at Clifton Hill, for example. The only, the only thing worth watching was Stevie Gray. And, you know, everybody else was just like, you know, was just there. It was just a game and a big heavy pitch. Stevie Gray would be like a world beater, you know, like you know, like throwing shapes everywhere, you know. And, 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 you know, he was worth the admission money and he was an entertainer. You would feel the buzz as soon as the ball went to him. You were expecting something to happen, but he would run at people. He would take men on and beat them, make a yard to base, get a cross in. He, he was just an entertainer and... and you know, you don't get very many of them in football, and and unfortunately for us, even over, even after, you know, thirty years since 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 it really was was a thing with us, you don't get too many like him. David Fernandez had that same kind of, you know, natural skill with it being the paceiest that he could beat a man, you know, you know, at ease in any kind of way that you could imagine. Um, but we don't really get an awful lot of players like that, and it's you know, partly Paul Mackay who's obviously the the modern day uh, assist machine. No, that was a joke, obviously, for Alan there. But um, you don't get very what, many points like Stevie Gray at all. <laughs> <laughs> Gordon, I dropped him off 10 minutes <laughs> ago. So, yeah, Stevie Stevie was brilliant. Just a one-off, really.
0: Uh, Alan, do you have any key, key memories of his time at Airdrie?
1: Um, what was the, What was the word I used in, the other night there? Mercurial. The, mercurial, yes. I, 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 I just I just like guys that, that, that can beat a man and there's not mm-hmm. enough of them in, in, in football anymore. Or Scottish football certainly, and you know it, it was just that unpredictability. The as as Gordon rightly says, he didn't have. I wouldn't have said he was hugely paced, but he was. He just had that ability to completely fox opponents. They didn't know where he was going. Um, and and I can remember that game with with Forfar or whoever it was, and it was just almost embarrassing. He just kept going back to beat the guy again. He didn't need to do it, but he was, I'll go back and beat him again and again and again just because I can. Did uh, they actually
2: pull his the shorts? Then I can't remember now.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, that was a different game, I think. <laughs> <All> right, okay. <laughs> no, I, th- I think we were blessed. I think in that and t- to think in that team that we had Stevie Gray on one side and Ennis McDonald on the other. Oh, you know. They, you know I the actually kind of
2: preferred Innes. Eh? I kind, I kind of preferred Innes. Uh, well, I don't know why, he did,
1: but he, he just I, I, I the guys and shuffle around and put his. He always used to put his that, that kind of overlay of his his boot over the ball to, that They thought they're never going to buy that, and defenders just bought it every single time. They didn't know whether he was going to cut left or cut right or knock it through his or legs or or, or or whatever. It was just it was just magic, and 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 I know you were disagreeing uh, the other night. We were talking about it that you know I, I think probably Stevie did dig when when, when it's necessary, but I'm very much of the view that when you've got guys like that you know that's their job to do that and they maybe they don't need to have that that requirement to 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 fall back and win tackles in the middle of the park and whatever that's that's for a couple of other guys in the middle of the park that are good at doing that you just get guys out in wide areas and all kind of old-fashioned wingers and, and 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 let them create stuff and as you say you know always these crossover always beat the man the, the, the guys could the, the fullbacks couldn't contain him so you get, it, you get it out wide, he was going to get beyond the guy and, and a good cross coming over. Yeah. Guys like that don't need to fall back and win the ball in the middle of the park. Or, you know, well, he, long- he did. <laughs> he, he actually worked really well. Cause I, I
2: don't know if you remember that year, right? When God McQueen left, David McKinnon was the right-back. But McKinnon and Tom Black left and we brought in Paul Jack and who played at left-back initially, and Jimmy Boyle was the right-back. And Stevie actually worked really well, and Anna McDonald on the other side as well. They they worked really well with the fullbacks. So uh, I remember a Thistle fan that was, so fun, was a, a lecturer down at the college when I was there. Doing about 89, 90 Used to say either oh, wingers, but they're no real wingers, are they? And um, kind of right in a way that you know they were were more like kind of they were more like box to box mid fielders at White who just happened to be brilliant at skinning men anyway and and and, and supplying but they, they actually weren't brilliant they doubled up really really well so that was something I always remember about Steve Gale. He wasn't lazy uh, you know at all on the pitch you know in his prime but the first year that he was there he was you know that was that that year we're talking about with the St Johnson game he was absolutely brilliant I think the following season under Bowen was when we had Lawrence Harvey and Coyle up front most often and um I think Stevie had a lot of injury problems, if I can mind right now. He, didn't, he didn't play as much that year, I don't think, no, he? but, but he? When, no, but when we got to the end of that season, when we got promoted, I think, you know, the, the things have kind of tapered off when Coyle was injured for a while. And I think towards the end of that season, I remember a game at Bank. If I can remember rightly, um, we went back to the four four two kind of thing. I think Coyle actually played as the left winger. Don't ask me why. But I think Coyle was playing there as a the left midfielder. Left winger, came back on the right. And I think it was when Gray came back in that that kind of helped that. And John Butler actually finally kind of, you know, really coming good. Remember the overhead kick here, you know, kind of helped set in. There was a game at Meadowbank midweek if I can remember it, a midweek game at Meadowbank and I think there was the air game on a Saturday was when we actually turned it around we actually halted the slide and got back into the promotion campaign we had about you know eight or nine games to go and I think Stevie came back in the right wing and played pretty much to the end of it I remember him playing and doing well doing at Partick as well one of the games and, and I think he you know I think, I think he kind of helped solidify that team in the run in whenever he finally came back I don't think he played much after that. For his unfortunately, when enough, came Gordon, in.
0: The only tech, the only game I can vividly remember him playing was that middlebank game, and he he came on from the bench. I'm sure, and that's what sticks with me. Just the absolute buzz around the crowd when Stevie Gray was coming on. So it was like, oh, this boy's this boy's amazing. Uh, so, yeah. so 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 yeah. Uh, I think he had
2: a lot. Of, I think he had a lot of issues, and that at, at that point in time, it was it was a, a bit of a tragic kinda of story obviously we all know the end and a few years later but he, he did have a lot of issues that year. But that, that first year in particular, Colin, he was just um he, he was so entertaining and so good. It was really him and Nipper. Nipper Nipper could be like a one man team a lot of times at that point in time when we were we were maybe struggling and, and Stevie was the other one that did that quite regularly and um he, he really did kinda of carry us for a wee spell that year but you know, he, he was just a pure born entertainer and we've not really had many guys like that at all, mate, so
0: Were you at the stadium the other year when Owen Coyle did a bit after dinner speaking?
2: Uh, unfortunately I wasn't
0: uh, and I'm sure but I'm sure these are just like standard jokes that he got off the peg we told us a story about uh Jimmy Bowen come into the, the, the change and we said, Right boys, we're playing on Sunday this week because we're on the T V. That's Sunday. So that means Stevie on Saturday night you're in your bed at nine o'clock and Stevie Gray said to him are you alright boss my night is a Friday <laughs> 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 which uh, from what I hear about him probably was true Uh but <laughs> I the words. The
2: words, believe me
0: <laughs> uh, but aye uh, you're right though you don't you don't see skillful wingers in football at the moment and these things do all tend to be yeah. cyclical and I don't know if it's coaching It the coaching is about Pass completion and ball retention but you do I will, I will come back into fashion I
2: uh, 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 was it some,
1: something well, badly you, got, you, you got me thinking back then about going to do you remember going to uh, Medibank Stadium and watching Airdrie oh, oh. God, that's Horrible. not some, that's not somewhere that you, you, you'd absolutely be desperate to go back to it was mad wasn't it no, do you remember well they've thankfully all the knocked it down do you remember that all the Stuarts had white coats on white coats no, right, no, no. I can't yeah. actually
2: remember that. I just remember like getting go going that stand. It was so steep, right. um, but you were so far away. It was like it was like East German, wasn't it? It was like you were in that horrible yeah. Peelie Valley looking stand at the you know the paley Valley at the best of times. You know the sports centre underneath it, and um, it was quite it was quite orangey looking, wasn't it? And, and aye, miserable, aye. and then you were like the athletics track. They were so far away. I've never, you know, apart from my old Shawfield, there wasn't many grounds that you felt so far away for the in that you feel so far away for the pitch. And so that for me was horrible to start with. I really didn't like
1: Medibank at all. Well, see, and I'm, I'm, i one push point in time because of these stewards that all had their white coats on. The every fans were giving them pelters, like calling them the doctors or something like that. And I'm pretty sure somebody for the Section B or something at one point got onto the got onto the, uh, the running track and tried to do the long jump with all right. the doctors <laughs> were chasing after him. I'm, I'm sure that happened. I, I, well, maybe I drank it, but... Maybe they had street jackets. I don't know. <laughs> there were all these stories songs about the doctors and, and stuff, and, and just... It was nuts. It was, a, it was a very, very strange experience. Did we get I mean, did, And did we sign... Napier From yeah. Made Aye, he scored. He scored
2: the hat trick. We we actually it was Gordon McQueen that signed Nipper Gordon McQueen, a Aye, brilliant. He a absolutely player. he absolutely murdered us he, he, he did. He scored three. We swapped him for Gordon McLeod, who Gordon remember Gordon McLeod, McLeod, McLeod was yeah. brought in as he's he's kind of playmaker in midfield, and, and it didn't really N- work. Never really out. worked so, well, him, Decent well, did it? decent player, skilful, but there just was something not quite clicking with us anyway, and he swapped him for Of Did he not cost cost about hundred thousand pounds or something? Yeah, I think he did but that got turned into Nipper and well Nipper was worth every penny also, well absolutely aye, aye. Uh, you know by a long way but McQueen had a brilliant eye for a player he brought in like guys like Ennis McDonald did well against as he signed him he brought Callum Campbell for the juniors and Big Callum was actually a half decent player for him. He scored a lot of goals Um, he signed Devin Balfour and Sammy Cohn he actually McQueen actually kind of built the platform that certainly got bone promoted and even even was a bit of a base for the the, the Alan McDonald team you know and it's sometimes overlooked um, I was actually going to throw something in there from my kind of coaching kind of background right about Bone because Jimmy Bone I don't know if you know he does a lot of coaching for the, the SFA and he, 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 he kind of like runs some of the kind of licensing you know kind of awards and that as well so you've got to kind of do a wee bit with him and he was telling me stories about his playing days and I was at it was one night we were up in Sterling freezing cold pouring the rain and he's telling a story about whenever he was a player and he was going on about I think it was was it Willie, remember Willie Johnson that played for Scotland you know the, the kind of like right. the drugs thing at right. Argentina so he played with him at Harps and he was, he was going on about how he loved playing beside Willie Johnson and when he told this story, I immediately thought he Stevie Gray and how he coached there at the time and, you know, what I'd seen. Because he was talking about Wally Johnson was the kind of guy that, he said to him that there was a signal whenever he kind of, like, beat a man and did something with his arm or shoulder, he knew that that ball was getting delivered to the front post. And he'd tell Jimmy Bone, if I, if I do this, if you see this happening during the game, you better beat that front post and convert right. And Jimmy Bone was like, sure as fuck. he, he goes and drops his shoulder, hits the byline, boom, the cross comes over. I hit the front post, bang, goal, right. And it was like, I immediately thought, that's a bit like, uh, that's a bit like, uh, you know, like quite, you know, Stevie Gray used to do. You know, we were talking about that game where he would beat a man, beat a man, beat a man, but quite regularly has has crosses in the box were getting converted. And I thought the way he described his in playing experience with guys like Wally Johnson was exactly. You know like what we got with Stevie Gray and whatever else and there was other funny stories about Ian Scanlon you know when he signed for St Mirren was the exact opposite he would beat a man for, for fun and then go and date again and whatever else and Jimmy Bone would make his run and did he score the goal kind of thing so I immediately thought that is, you know the, the experience talking to you like a 70 odd year old Jimmy Bone at the time and, and what it was like and, and that, whole, that brilliant really exciting team that he created it was quite an insight at the time so. Sorry, I was boring with it, sorry. <laughs> sorry I, I liked it. Okay. I liked the story anyway, but <laughs> Uh no,
0: No, that, that's great. It was probably a good place to, to call it there, but no, thank you. I, I can confirm that the the machine is still ticking on showing that it's recording, so I I will not need to trouble you again, but thank you for your time. Uh, I think most importantly for for you guys, for everyone listening, stay safe, but uh, really looking forward to when we can get back into the football ground and see each other in person. Um, It's uh, too long already, so however long this lasts for, uh, it'll be brilliant to go back and watch your dream.
2: Absolutely. Hopefully we'll see you back Christmas.
0: And as a special treat to finish off, Alan Porteous is going to give us another extract from his book, Glory Hunting. You can buy the book on Amazon Bookstore for only £1.99 for your Kindle or other e-book device. And if you're an Amazon Prime customer, you can get a free trial off it as well. If you prefer a paper copy book, the best place to buy it would be the bookstore at Author House, where it's presently on sale for $16 which is about £12. Alan also has a collection of short stories called Dixon Pickles Splendid Tales, and you'll find them on Amazon Bookstore as well. Please, if you enjoy what you hear,
1: support Alan. This is an excerpt from Glory Hunting, Chapter 13, A Tale of the Hun. Rab Kyle was a Rangers fan. In his own mind, he was THE Rangers fan. No one cared as much as him, no one suffered for the cause as much as him, and most certainly no one had the right to criticise his team the way he was allowed to, because he'd paid his dues as he was forever telling anyone who was prepared to listen. Season ticket holder owner of every XXL home and away top designed over the last 20 years or so, even the bizarre Muslim one without the drink sponsor logo in the front, just for completeness, and proud collector of the largest range of rangers tat this side of Derry's walls. The John Gregg testimonial dish towel was his, as were the commemorative 50th League Championship pack of 3 boxer shorts, worn only once since being bought in 2003, in the bad month when the washing machine packed in. And, of course, his prize, nine in a row, red, white and blue, four-sliced toaster. And Rab had seen it all. He was on the pitch in the new Camp in 1972 when Rangers beat Dynamo Moscow to win the European Cup Winners' Cup. Despite being photographed as one of the first over the barriers, Rab still strenuously denies being part of the invasion, which would ultimately earn his team a one-year ban from European competition. Rab instead has remained adamant that it wasn't him, that he was in the shunky with the Diarinkies at the time, fighting off some dodgy paella. Adamant indeed. But if you look sharply, you'll catch a flicker of guilt in those grey puffy eyes that says it all. In 1989, he burned his season ticket on national TV when Rangers signed Morris Johnson, the first dodgy tracksuit dealer to sign for the team in almost 70 years. A staunch man of principle. Rab phoned up the club two days later and pleaded for a new ticket, claiming his dog had eaten the old one. Being a lucky man as well as a principled one, Rangers obliged. And in 2003 he was arrested for standing bollock naked, very much the worse for wear, outside manager Dick Advocat's house singing, have you seen the Glasgow Rangers, whilst intermittently screaming, away him to Dutchland, short arse, and waste your ain money, at the top of his voice. This would have all been well and good had Advocat not left the club in 2002. As a loyal Rangers man though, a real bear. Rab had one aching want in his life, something that would make him complete. It wasn't winning the Champions League, nor was it urinating in Peter Grant's temporarily unattended pint, it was more than that. For Rab, above all else in his small, war-torn Glasgow life, wanted to meet the Queen. There had been a couple of close shaves, three feet away from a handshake at the opening of Arthurson General's new psychiatric wing and straining to be the next in line to say A pleasure, ma'am. Rab, in his doggish excitement, put excessive weight on his right ankle and at the key moment collapsed back into the waiting crowd who duly swallowed him up like a killer whale on a seal. The conveniently nearby A&E unit diagnosed ligament damage quickly and professionally, but Rab's moment was lost. More frustrating was his near miss at the Royal Garden Party at Holyrood House Palace in Edinburgh. Procuring an invite through Violet Hildebrand a friend of Rab's sisters and district organiser of the Women's Royal Voluntary Service. All of her members were too old to stand outdoors for more than three minutes at a time without falling over or needing to pee, and thus uptake on her invite was minimal. Our man Rab waltzed into the fray, fully expectant of a gratis Picardy breezer, a mushroom volivong and a brisk yet informal tete-a-tete with the walking handbag herself. Alas, it was not to be. With the monarch once again a mere stone's throw away and Rab's pulse skyrocketing to over 120 a minute, a rogue cloud on an otherwise fair sunny day conspiratorially blew over and emptied itself indulgently over the attending masses. The near-biblical deluge sent everyone scuttling to the nearest shelter, not least the Queen herself, who was skilfully whisked back indoors, leaving a stunned and forlorn Rab Kyle standing on his own, on the grass, Looking skywards, dripping. The Queen predictably did not return, and the damp guests were only semi appeased with the provision of newly prepared mini quiches, glasses of apple tizer, and small silver plates of ridged Pringles, which is roundabout when desperation set in. Rab had to meet the Queen, and nothing was going to stop him. Spurred on by the constant taunting of his mates, all of whom, amazingly, had met Her Royal Highness themselves in some shape or form over the years. Understandably, Rab was pushed to the brink. After a night of particularly aggravating, so Rab, you met the Queen yet? type comments, Rab decided that desperate times called for desperate measures. He may not have been big or clever, but Rab's feelings were of a what-the-hell nature. The decade was coming to an end, he wasn't getting any younger, and he assured himself in the longer, darker nights, John Gregg would have done exactly the same in such adversity. That's how in the autumn of 79, Rab happened to take a long weekend break in Windsor. It also happened that Liz was in residence at Windsor Castle at that very same time, home, no doubt, from one of her energy-sapping tours of the unspoiled beaches of her rapidly declining empire. Ambition at bubbling point, Rab laid a plan. It wasn't a good plan, it wasn't even an average plan, but then again, Rab didn't have World Planning Federation's Planner of the Year branded on his ass, nor would he ever. He had journeyed down south by virtue of his brother's borrowed white transit van, a choice of vehicle which fitted nicely into his guise as Robert Kyle and son's Plumbers by Royal Appointment. Not a complex thinker, rapid had reasoned that even the Queen had to periodically take a dump, although he refused, out of regal respect, to form any mental pictures of the act. And where there was dumping going on, there was, generally at any rate, toilet pans in the vicinity. Toilet pans that every once in a while needed mending. So it was that Rab drove boldly up to the main entrance of Windsor Castle and calmly announced himself as being there to fix a couple of faulty cisterns in the private quarters. Security being somewhat slacker in the late 70s than at present, Rab was miraculously shown in by a slightly harassed house manager who gushed that he was aware of the faulty units in question but added absently that he couldn't remember sending for the plumber though. Within minutes, Rab and his tool bag containing a hammer, two roll plugs, a toothbrush and a bounty were being marched up wide, thickly carpeted stairs along stretching wood panel corridors until finally reaching a marble convenience the likes of which had not been seen since Xanadu returned to the dust it had been built upon. It was about now that Rab, I imagine, wished he'd chosen a job he could actually do. As an electrician to trade, he didn't know a stopcock from a pump valve, which, as an aside, makes it all the stranger why he didn't choose electrics as a cover in the first place. Anyway, luckily for him, he was left on his own to do the necessary. Unluckily for him, He decided, before downing his tools and embarking on a swift scout around to find the Queen, to have a quick rinse in the nearby Royal Basin. After a precursory splash in his face, however, he reached out, eyes closed, for the hand wash, only to mistakenly grab an inconveniently placed plastic bottle of detergent instead. Within seconds of liberally applying the cleaning fluid over his mug, an allergic reaction had burst onto the scene and was in full angry red swing. Luckily for Rab, only one of his eyes had been exposed. However, in the shock of his error, the offensive liquid snuck into his open mouth, causing his tongue and inner cheek area to instantaneously swell up like a big pink souffle. Disorientated and groping around for a towel in considerable discomfort, Rab fell out the toilet door and blundered his way semi-blindly down the hallway, all the while moaning incoherently and dribbling down the front of his royal blue overalls. With the pain inside of his mouth growing in line with the size of his inflatable tongue, Rab chose what he thought was the doorway to the main stairway area and staggered through, only to find himself in a small, peaceful study room and, spectacularly, face to face with Elizabeth II, the monarch of our realm. For an instant, they both simply stared at one another. No doubt trained in how to react to such matters, the Queen fixedly inquired, "'And who, sir, are you?' Rab, whose face now resembled a half pound of corned beef and was twitching involuntarily with his streaming right eye, said nothing. Again, sir, who are you? And why are you in these quarters? insisted the Queen deliberately. Slowly coming to terms with the situation, Rab cleared his throat painfully and embarked on a highly emotive from the heart speech he had run through in his head in his quieter moments a thousand times before. Frank Slabla's bliss began Rab sincerely, bowing his head and only slightly dribbling on the carpet beneath. Within minutes, Rab was in police custody. Were it not for the confusion surrounding Rab's demeanour, he would undoubtedly have been in serious trouble. However, bemused security officers were at a loss as to what to make of the sweating, crimson-faced specimen who was now holding his head at a constant 45-degree angle, who had given up trying to respond to any form of questioning and who instead was now reduced to murmuring what sounded like Shawar Queen and Finder Victorious repeatedly with wide, pain stricken eyes. The man's clearly deranged, muttered the in charge cop almost confidentially to a concerned looking subordinate, and after much debate and low murmured discussion, Rab was hoisted to his feet and gently escorted from the premises. Nowadays, of course, such antics would have been considered a serious compromise in security and a field day for the press. In a busy news week in late September 1979, however, wider exposure of the event was limited to a small, unspecific inside article of the Reading Standard claiming stroke victim in Castle Breach. No names were mentioned, although the paper alluded to the suspicion that the intruder was possibly a war veteran from the Korean conflict. I went on to disclose a helpline number for those suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder. After the application of various steroid creams and an industrial-strength course of antihistamines, Rab returned home the conquering hero. "'Twice,' she called me, sir,' he boasted to the pub ensemble, to the butcher, his barber, the postman, the common man in the street, and pretty much anyone who happened to cross his path. "'Makes me practically a knight of the realm,' he would conclude with that grin of his etched onto his well-slapped-looking face. So Rab got to live the dream, and the Queen got to meet Sir Rab Kyle of Arthurston, Scotland. No doubt a memorable experience for both of them. The last time I saw Rab was in Jonesy's parents' house the week before Jonesy's dad left home. He was in his usual place, on the middle of the couch, straining its cushions into a V-shape with his sizeable, ever-expanding ass. A can of Schlitz-Lager in hand, he was watching the live European tie on the TV. Rangers lost the game 1-0 if I remember, but Rab was unabashed and having told us one more time about the time he went to Windsor, he proudly pulled out his new wee treasure from his jacket pocket. It was a plastic oval-topped paperweight. Inside the paperweight was a mini model of Ibrox's main stand and when he shook it, snow fell gently and hypnotically on its roof and the grey ground of the adjacent Edmiston Drive. All the while the snow was settling, Rab grinned and picked at one of the many scabs on his neck. Once it was done, Rab took a slug from his can, smiled, sat back and shook it again.